Welcome to Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, back with an emergency podcast a week early to talk about some major, major breaking news in the NBA world related to our beloved Atlanta Hawks. Before we get to that, if you're new to the show, please make sure to like and subscribe. You can follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, and you can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. So as has been rumored for several days now, the Hawks have completed a trade for DeJounte Murray, the all-star point guard for the San Antonio Spurs. I am very excited about this trade. A lot of Atlanta fans are also very excited about this trade. And a lot of Atlanta fans feel like this is an improvement. Although the fit is good, it is not perfect, which is something we will get into. So if you've been under a rock and you're asking the question, who is DeJounte Murray and why should I be excited? Murray is a 6'4 combo guard who has been a primary ball handler for most of his time in San Antonio, but he's got the size to kind of play either position. He has a 6'4 frame with a 6'9 wingspan, which allows him to play a lot bigger than his 6'4 size. And with him and Trey at 6'1 in the backcourt, you're going to be a bit undersized, but his length helps to offset some of that. Murray made his first All-Star game this past year, averaging 21 points, nine assists, and eight rebounds. So he was legitimately one of the best point guards in the Western Conference, kind of quietly. And he did it with efficiency numbers of 46% from the field, 32.7% from three, and 79.4% from the free throw line. And it's also worth mentioning that he led the league in steals at two steals per game. Murray in 2017-2018 made an all-defensive team for the NBA. The next year towards ACL. And since then, he has been very good, but not quite to like the Marcus Smart, Mikael Bridges level as a perimeter defender. But he is still considered one of the best defensive point guards in the NBA. And as we've talked about in the past, the number of point guards that are good on offense and defense in the NBA is like five. And I would not have even said that Murray was on this list previously because he wasn't a great offensive player. One of the things that makes Murray a good fit is that he is an excellent pick-and-roll specialist. He scores by slashing, attacking at angles, and he does the majority of his damage lane. He's a good finisher with good percentages around the rim. But again, he's going to rely more on angles and craftiness rather than explosion. So his game resembles a lot more of like Steph Curry's finishing package than John Morant's. And... If you look at his percentages, he has shot a very, very good percentage at the rim. In the restricted area, 66% last year, 65% the year before that. So he has been a consistently good finisher throughout his whole career, and he shoots 76% of his shots from two-point range and about 41% of his shots within 10 feet of the basket. So he is a guy that will be attacking the rim and finishing at the rim, and he's about a 35% shooter on catch-and-shoot three-pointers. So that is one of the questions is, will he be able to play off the ball with Trey on the floor? Because he and Trey were both in the top three in NBA in pick and roll usage. And considering that you're not going to run guard to guard pick and roll, it means that one of them is going to have to play off the ball as a weak side spot up shooter or as a cutter or come off screens. There's going to be some, some kind of give and take to make this offensive package work. But what you get is a secondary ball handler 
that can manage the offense when Trey's off the floor, a super high-level defender, and honestly, honestly, if you are going to pick a partner for Trey Young, as I've tried to do for the last three weeks, those of you that follow me, I've had suggested packages for Lonzo Ball to, again, get a secondary ball handler that can defend. I suggested us signing Victor Oladipo outright as a free agent. I looked at trades for Malcolm Brogdon because all those guys fit the same bill. They're combo guards or big point guards that can defend, handle the ball, and shoot. Now, DeJounte Murray doesn't have that shooting acumen, but he is a good scorer. And if Trey is able to play off the ball and Nate McMillan is able to come off sets that utilize Trey's gravity as a shooter, this can work. And this is kind of what you have to do when you have two ball-dominant guards work. Chris Paul and James Harden will be successful because both of them have good spot-up jump shooting ability. Same thing with Chris Paul and Devin Booker in Phoenix. So that does make the fit a little bit questionable. Trey Young is a fantastic catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, 45% last year, but he only shot 86 of them the entire season. 83% of Trey's field goals last year unassisted, which was the fourth highest in the NBA for people that had at least 250 field goal attempts. And Murray was 73% of unassisted field goals. So these are these are guys that aren't used to playing off screens. They play with the pick and roll. They play with the ball in their hands, and they score that way. So there is something to be said about the fit, but I think it is a good fit. If you're a fan of Brad Rowland on Peachtree Hoops, he has kind of echoed these thoughts. It's a good fit, but not a perfect fit. But if you were picking partners for Trey Young, this guy would be in the top three on your list. I didn't think there was any chance he's available, but I am super glad that we have them. And it just made our team significantly better. And while I do think Murray is a really good player, I honestly am going to pump the brakes and say I don't think he's as good as the stats were last year. Last year, he averaged 9.2 assists. But prior to that, his highest assist total for a season was 5.4. So enormous jump in that assist total. So I'm not sure how real that is on a Spurs team that wasn't very good. His efficiency has always been pretty solid. He's about a 46% shooter from the field for the last two or three years. But again, I don't think he's going to be a 20-9 and nine guy for the Hawks. I think he's probably going to be a guy that's like 17-6, and six, but plays really good defense. And hopefully with him having to take on less of an offensive load, he'll go back to being an elite all-NBA lockdown defender as opposed to just a really, really good one. But even if you get just a really, really good defender out of him, you're still happy with that. So I think this is a great move. The Hawks did give up a lot. Did they give up too much? Probably. And the Spurs are selling really high on Murray. If they gave him an extension, he was probably going to decline it because he knows that he could probably get more in the open market in two years. And so knowing they're probably not going to resign him, they opted to trade him when his value is at the absolute highest. And as a result, they got back, what, three unprotected picks. The Charlotte pick from this year, two unprotected from Atlanta, and a pick swap. So three first-round picks for a player that you may not be able to keep in two years is really good value. On the other hand, Atlanta's thinking, we just traded picks that are probably going to be somewhere between 16 and 20 for a guy that's going to be a really, really high-level starter, if not an all-star, and is a great pairing with Trey Young. So it's the rare case where I feel like this trade is actually a win-win for both teams. But Atlanta still has work to do. I was fishing around looking at other moves Atlanta could do to fill out the roster, and once this DeJounte Murray trade is finalized, a couple things that I think the Atlanta Hawks can do to continue filling out the roster. First thing is they need an additional ball handler. My preference would be someone that is versatile that is versatile enough to play both guard spots and can play mate. 
I'm not so much worried about shooting because if Kevin Herter and Bogdan Bogdanovich are still on this team, that second unit is going to have enough shooting. But you've got to find someone that can handle the ball and actually create offense, generate playmaking. So I kind of put these into different tiers, and if you check our Facebook and Twitter feed, this is up. So for any of these guys, they need to be relatively cheap. We're talking about $10 million or less. So you could potentially use the mid-level exception, but there are some scenarios in which using that means the Hawks end up being hard-capped. But either way, we're looking for a guy that's a relatively cheap option. So out of those options, people that are realistic, best fits would be DeLon Wright, Victor Oladipo, who is a combo guard that can handle the ball, or one that I really like, Ricky Rubio. Now, DeLon Wright's the obvious choice considering how well he played for the Hawks, especially in the playoffs, where for stretches of the Miami series, he was our best player. So if you can get him to come back, that's the obvious option. If not, I would love to have Oladipo or Ricky Rubio. Rubio is a really good defender. He always has been. And he's a very, very good passer and shot creator. Not a great scorer himself, but again, with that unit, you don't need it. So those three would be, in my opinion, the best fits. The next category is cheap but questionable fits. So I have four names there. Guys that all are decent scorers, but smaller guards that aren't really combo guards. They're pretty much one position players and or they aren't very good on defense. So that list includes Patty Mills, Aaron Holiday, Austin Rivers, and Dennis Schroeder. Patty Mills is obviously a name we know. He's a good shooter, but he's small. He's not very good on defense, and he doesn't really create. He's a shot maker, which, again, isn't necessarily what you would need on that second unit. And I'm not sure that he could play alongside Trey, although he could play with DeJounte Murray. Aaron Holiday, who's a similar player to Patty Mills, can shoot. He's a better defender than Mills, but he's small. He doesn't create a lot of shots for other players. Dennis Schroeder, who scores, plays defense when he feels like it. When he does play defense, he's decent, and he would not cost very much, but he's a diva, and again, he's not really a shot creator for other players. And then Austin Rivers, who is actually the only one of these that's a true combo guard, and he's versatile, but he's one of those guys that's just okay at everything and not really great at anything. He's not a great defender or a great shot maker or a great passer. He's just kind of okay at everything. He'd be another option. Then in the last category, I have old, but maybe. <laughs> and in that category, I put Goran Dragic and DJ Augustin. Dragic and the combo guard that can score, create, and play a little bit of defense. Now, I don't know how good he's going to be at 36, but he gives you some ball handling and scoring, but he is old. And then DJ Augustin, who can make shots and run an offense, but he's bad on defense and he's not very big. So that's kind of the gamut of options. And this is assuming the roster the Hawks have today. The other glaring need in our roster after trading away Gallinari is that you need another big. Gorgie Ding is a free agent, meaning you lost your third center, and you just lost your back at power forward. So the Hawks have three bigs in the roster, essentially, with Collins, Capella, and Okungwu. You need five, four of whom are going to play. So they have a gaping need at backup big. There are a lot of good free agent options at power forward, and the Hawks are looking for a player that can give them some shooting, has the versatility to potentially play a power forward and center, and can provide some kind of defense and rim protection. They also ideally could play alongside Capella or Okongwu, as both are still on our roster at this point. So the top of my list, and I put this in the expensive but unlikely category, P.J. Tucker and Bobby Portis. I would absolutely love Bobby Portis. He'd be my first choice because of his toughness, his scoring, and his rebounding. But there's rumors he might be looking for 12 and 49, and I don't know if the Hawks are going to have enough cap space to do that. They're probably going to be a tax-paying team this year, but I don't know if that's a contract they'd be willing to do. And then the other one is P.J. Tucker, who is someone that you could probably get for either a biannual exception or a mid-level exception. And he is rumored to not 
want to return to Miami, and the Hawks are rumored to be one of the teams pursuing him. He's a great fit. Can't play center necessarily, but he gives you a defensive-minded power forward that's a knockdown shooter from the corner. So that's a good fit. The best fits as far as salary, skill level, and actual availability are probably Chris Boucher, Mo Bamba, and Gorgie Ding. And these three are basically the same player. They're all rim protectors that are good three-point shooters. I think Boucher and Mamba are both about 38% three-point shooters, although Chris Boucher is coming off a really, really down year last year. And Gorgie Ding is a 42% shooter. Problem is, I don't know if Ding's the kind of guy that you want to give extended minutes to, playing him 20 to 25 minutes a game. I don't know if that's really a winning formula. Boucher, I think, is great, but he's coming off a down year where he only shot, I think, 28% from three and saw a big drop in his production as the Raptors got better. And then Mo Bamba, I think, is a great choice, but he's just kind of an unknown. He's young. I don't know if he'd come to the Hawks on that small of a contract, but this would be a great place for him to come, take a one- or two-year deal, rehabilitate his career, and then go in his mid-20s and get a bigger contract. But I think those are guys that are good fits. Then I had the last category of old but maybe. And these are guys that are decent fits, but you just don't know if they have anything left and or if they'll be healthy. Serge Ibaka, good defender with a good jump shot. Blake Griffin, good defender who can play make and also make threes. Blake's not great in pick and roll defense, but he's a pretty good post defender. He doesn't provide a lot of rim protection like Ibaka, but he's a good player. And my last one is Dwayne Dedman, our old friend. We know all about who Dwayne Dedman is. So those are some moves I'd like to see the Hawks make, assuming our roster stays the same. Now, here's the bombshell that dropped about an hour ago. Kevin Durant has requested a trade, and so your boy jumped in the NBA trade machine, got to work, and tried to see what kind of package we could possibly put together to get Kevin Durant here. I'll go ahead and warn you, it's ugly. It puts you over the luxury tax. It could potentially end up making you hard cap because you have to use a mid-level exception to sign other players in your roster. And it's going to cost you that remaining first-round pick in 2023. Having said all that, Kevin Durant immediately makes this team a legitimate title contender, assuming that you keep DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. And obviously, if you couldn't keep them, you wouldn't make the trade. And here are a few possible versions of the trade and what it could look like. I'm kind of starting with the assumption that any trade for Kevin Durant would involve John Collins going to the Nets. So you send his $23.5 million salary for next year, along with Bogdan Bogdanovich's $18 million salary and DeAndre Hunter's $9.8 million salary. That adds up to $51 million, and then you get back Kevin Durant and his $42 million salary, and then you throw in Seth Curry to make the salaries balance. So that's a trade, with which is a three for two, which you also sending an unprotected first-round pick next year to the Nets. Is that enough? I don't know. So here's another version of the same trade. This one is a three-for-one with the pick involved also, and you're sending again John Collins, Kevin Herter, and DeAndre Hunter for a total outgoing salary of $47.8 million, getting back $42 million, and that trade works financially, gives the Nets a lineup that would include Kyrie Irving at the one, Kevin Herter at the two, DeAndre Hunter at the three, John Collins at the four, and I think Ben Simmons at the five. That's a team that could get into the playoffs and win a playoff series, so you're not just totally stripping the Nets of talent. And then they have a bunch of pieces that they can move whenever they decide to tear it down. The third option is one that I like a lot less because it involves getting rid of one of the Hawks' most important, although not best, players. And that's this one. Clint Capella, Bogdog Bogdanovich, and DeAndre Hunter 
for Kevin Durant plus our 2023 first round pick. That is sending a ton of talent to the Nets. And this is so much talent that the NBA trade machine actually says this trade is a net zero and loss and wins for the Nets and a minus one wins for the Hawks. Now, of course, we know that that's not how things play out in real life. But the idea is that this is a supreme talent hall that would actually help the Nets still continue to be competitive. And the last one is Kevin Durant for John Collins, Kevin Herter, and DeAndre Hunter. That one works salary-wise, and it makes the Hawks better by five wins, and that's worse by five wins. The idea of Kevin Durant coming here is probably a pipe dream. I don't think it's ever going to happen. But, I mean, we got a dream, folks. And if by some chance you do get Kevin Durant, here's the downside. You will likely be left with only six or seven players on a contract. If you bring, if you count AJ Griffin's contract and you bring back Sharif Cooper on his two-way, that gets you up to like eight or nine players. And then you got to fill out the rest of the roster while already being over the luxury tax. And as I mentioned earlier, if you use like your mid-level exception, you're hard capped at somewhere around 167 or 168 million dollars. So you have to do a lot of gymnastics to make it work. But truthfully, as a franchise, this is what you hope for. You build a good enough team that you can bring an extra star to and have a championship contender. And when you put Kevin Durant and Trey Young, two All-NBA players, plus an All-NBA caliber defender in DeJounte Murray, you do then have the formula for an NBA championship contender. The important thing here is the Hawks have to find a way to make this trade while still retaining Clint Capella. Because if you lose Capella, this becomes a lot more murky. So, that's a lot. I can't wait to hear y'all's feedback. This is exciting time as a Hawks fan. We're making moves that are exciting and that are really going to put us in potential contention for an NBA championship. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Hopefully you feel the same way. Can't wait to hear what you think. This has been Dave Bethay for the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.